Support for Connecticut East this week comes from Day Kimball Health, nationally recognized by Leapfrog, Beckers, and the American Heart Association. Day Kimball Health, healthcare in motion. Learn more at daykimball.org. And Eastcon for high school completion, English language instruction, and employment and job training services. Go to eastcon.org slash get started today. Eastcon, you've got this. She's been saving exotic animals for over 20 years. We talked to Alison Sloan, founder of the Pandemonium Rainforest Project, about her continued mission to help these abused and neglected animals. Plus, we take a look at other stories making the headlines from around the region. This is Connecticut East This Week. Hello, I'm Brian Scott-Smith. You see them in pet stores up and down the country. Not puppies or kittens, but exotic animals like snakes, lizards, parrots, and even giant tortoises. But what happens to them once the owners get bored with them or can no longer look after them? It's not a simple case of passing it on to a friend or a member of your family. And how do you look after the health of these exotic animals when vet care for them can be spotty at best and costly? Alison Sloan is the founder of the Pandemonium Rainforest Forest Project based in Deep River in Middlesex County and over a number of years has created a community dedicated to rescuing and preserving exotic animals. And we're talking to Alison Sloan, founder of the Pandemonian Rainforest Project in Deep River, Connecticut. We are here in this beautiful, what is it, isn't it a converted mill? This used to be an old ivory mill, and this is the last Pratt Reed ivory mill that is accessible to our towns. Ivory was the largest trade in the 1900s. Deep River and Essex actually created more ivory products than any other town in the world. So why did you pick this location then? I mean, it seems obvious then really i mean because you're we're going to get into what it is that you do is there a little bit of sense of irony as to how absolutely there is um with the hundreds of thousands of elephants that were horribly massacred just for their tusks and not to mention the enslaved people that were made to carry the tusks to tanzania and mozambique it it is absolutely our our little twist and irony but my business partner and i were very worried about losing this beautiful mill to condos and not having it accessible to all of uh, the school kids and everyone in this area to learn about this very rich heritage that we have, good and bad. We have to to learn and to teach these things. So we have beautiful historical plaques all around the outside of the building so that people can go around and learn about this building. And then we're also opening a museum in the spring and we'll have docents that will be able to take people around also. We'll be delving into some more of that in, in as we go through the interview. But Pandemonium Rainforest Project, where did that name come from? So that came from my furry brain. Pandemonium actually stands for a group of parrots. And just like a murderous uh, group of crows, Pandemonium Rainforest just seemed like a natural, and we call it PRP, because of the rainforest animals also in there. Not, not only the parrots, but we have reptiles that we rescue, the exotics. How long has it all been going now? I've been rescuing animals for about 30 plus years, about 40 years with the reptiles, 20 years with the parrots. 
And this particular facility that we're sat at, as we say, in, in Deep River, this beautiful, so like old ivory mill, how long has this been yours, as it were? We bought it in 2021 and started the renovation ourselves. My partner and my business partner and my husband and my husband. And my husband is my best friend, ex-husband, twice. And we all worked very, very, very hard on this. Uh, we've had some local contractors that have been very good to us that have helped us a lot. But honestly, it's been very difficult to get donations because they're exotic animals and people don't really seem to care very much. Yeah, we'll talk, so. a, li- we'll talk a little bit more about that in, as I say, in just a moment. I mean, we're sat in the, the cafe area, which is just, uh, you know, absolutely great. So like books and comfy chairs and great drinks, etc., which is, you know, attached to the main building, which is like this amazing thrift store. I honestly don't think, and I'm not just saying this because we're sat here interviewing, I don't think I've ever seen anything like this in my life. I mean, you know, I came previously before we decided to come and do the podcast. Podcast with you had a look round, and it is just full, chock full of everything that you could possibly imagine. So, how did that? Because I mean, this is what's sort of like fueling and paying for the business. To Absolutely, a this is the revenue stream, the main revenue stream for the animal rescue. We're very, very lucky, blessed, however you would like to put it. We started this thrift store about 2020, just before COVID, and it took off. And that was at our previous location at 500 Main Street where my flower shop was. And it just grew. And we realized at that point that we had really wonderful neighbors that really wanted to donate to something that meant something. And they could see what they were donating to directly. But also we found out that there is a poverty level within our tri-town and our area, 30 to 40%. So if someone comes in with a WIC card or a state assistance card, they immediately get 50% off. And then there's free admission for them to the animal sanctuary because we want families to be able to come in here and really thrive. And you were talking about the educational part of it as well. Tell us a little bit more of that. And then we're going to delve in obviously to the main thrust of this, which mm-hmm. is the the amazing animals that, you know, sadly have been left behind or sort of like abandoned. And uh, thankfully, you know, you and the team have rescued but the educational, why was that important? I think the educational, in a rescue situation, you don't want to just rescue without trying to reach out to the community and help them to understand why these animals are having such a hard time and maybe get someone not to buy an iguana or not to buy a large python or we can teach them don't get this tortoise if you just desperate to get a tortoise get this smaller little russian tortoise and and through education and most especially with children with young people they learn quickly they're very malleable and they're excited about it and education is wonderful and we are almost at the finish stage of our geodome which is a 30-foot geodome and that's going to be our educational center where we're going to have speakers come in about all all kinds of things, diverse things, beekeeping and Audubon and composting, recycling, which is a huge thing right now, not only our exotic husbandry also. So talk to us about the amazing animals, like we said, sadly abandoned or surrendered. And thankfully, you know, you are here to help rescue them with your team. Talk to us about, you know, the animals that you have here. We have about 40 parrots. We know them all by name, but I don't count them. 
and then we have several reptiles, and then we have uh, off-site quarantines for animals that we do rescue. We only try to rescue from abuse or abandonment. Several of our birds come from crack houses, which is very, very sad, and unfortunately it, it happens. They're not perfect pets. People think that it's just a great idea to have them. They go on Craigslist, they go down what I call the vortex, and they get used for basically a drug hit, getting some crack, and that's what they get paid with, and the drug dealers usually take them because they think they're novel or they take them because they can sell them so it's yeah. very sad the animals that you do have i mean apart from what you've just explained to us that's just one aspect of it i mean you do help to rehab them as well don't you absolutely so talk, talk we, to us about that we do that's one of the reasons that we don't take a lot of animals because i don't feel that you can really be effective unless you're spending time with each individual animal i do the assessments with them most especially with the parrots to decide is this parrot going to be better in a flock situation, which is what we have in our new beautiful sanctuary. They're open flight areas. They're not in cages for the most part. Or is this going to be an animal that needs to be rehabilitated with us, learn that we're not going to hurt it, learn that it doesn't have to bite because they bite because they're scared, and then hopefully find it a new home in a home situation because not all of them want the flock, even though they're flock animals. And the reptiles are actually easier because a lot of times they're much sweeter, they're easier to to handle, they're not going to bite, they're not going to scream, they don't make that much mess, so they're kind of easier to deal with. Yeah, you were saying about the new facility. Talk to us about that because it is an amazing new facility that you've got there. We're not in it only because you were saying <laughs> early before we did the interview, yeah, if we walk in there, they're going to spot mum as it were and all hell's going to break loose. That's it, they, they which do, is, which they is, scream. Which is great to know because obviously, yeah. you know, they know who's caring for them and obviously <laughs> yeah. the team as well because I know it's all a, a team effort. So talk to us about that because that's a relatively new facility you've got. The facility itself, unlike our beautiful building here, was built in 1856. Our new facility was just finished a couple of months ago. We just opened and it's a, a large metal building and the reason we went with that obviously is because of cost but also because we can control the heat, the humidity and everything that is relative to the animals. But building it out was, was a feat because it had to be built most specifically for not only the parrots, but then also the reptiles. And how do we keep the humidity in with the reptiles and not have too much humidity with the parrots? So it all was kind of an engineering feat. And I have an absolutely wonderful local builder that worked with us, Mark Rayner. And he was just amazing and really got the vision and just ran with it. It just did a beautiful job. I mean, I've visited it before, yeah. did the, the podcast. And as you say, it is an amazing facility to to walk around to see these animals which are clearly clearly now in much better health than they yeah. were before obviously they're so happy but one side i believe is like the reptiles and yes. then you like you've got the birds around mm -hmm. the other side talk to us about some of the characters because we think about dogs and cats but of course you know all animals have character oh, they do birds in particular yes have incredible characters mm -hmm. talk to us a little bit about some of those they, characters. they do every single bird has a story and we've just recently finished doing all the bios on the website for them so people can go and learn about how they came to us, why they're with us. They have the intelligence of a three to five-year-old child. So when making the decision to buy one or adopt one, you have to understand not only their intelligence, but how long they live. Some of these live up to towards 100 years. I have one named Olive who was dropped on me literally over 20 years ago. The man said, she bites 
or he bites. They thought it was a male. He bites, he swears, and I don't want this blinkety-blank bird anymore. So it's obvious why it swore. Totally abused. They would shoot water at it on its play stand, tell it that it was a bad bird all the time. And when she came to us, she was very much like an autistic child, and she needed to be covered. She would scream until she was covered totally, and then she would start saying little baby noises and saying, help me, help me. Each bird that comes to us has a very scattered past, and they're like onions, and we have to peel back the layers and have them trust us and love us, and that's why I'm so grateful for the team that I have that absolutely adores these animals. But also to get down to the bird at its core, and it's almost like therapy. It's bird therapy. And some of them come out of it within a couple of months and some of them take years. That was going to be my next question Mm. is obviously it's all on an individual basis. So that is incredible that, you know, the damage runs so deep in these animals and these birds, etc. that, as you say, you know, it can take such a long time sometimes. Talk to us a little bit about the team as well, because it is a team effort. You know, obviously you are the linchpin, as it were, of everything here. But I mean, talk to us a little bit about the team because you've got a great team of people. We are really lucky to have an amazing team here at the mill. No one works here, and this includes you know the flower shop out there. No one works on the campus that does not believe in the Pandemonium Rainforest Project and what we are doing, saving animals and educating the public. And it's really wonderful to speak to anyone on the team, wherever they are on the campus, and they will tell you with a great enthusiasm about how much these animals mean. The animal people that I have down at the building, some of them have other jobs and just come in in the morning just to help clean and feed. And they're there every single morning, except holidays. Mommy's there on holidays. They're extremely dedicated crew that really truly loves the animals and learns as much as they can. It's not, no one knows everything and we're all always learning. And what about the people that that visit? I mean, you must get some amazing feedback. I mean, what do people say? I mean, other than, as I say, the amazing thrift store, but then when they go on to see the animals as well, what sort of feedback do you get from people? Mostly everyone just absolutely loves the whole campus. They love just coming to visit and spending some time at the thrift store and, of course, going to get, you know, world's best grilled cheese at the cafe. But the Animal Sanctuary, I think, has been a huge surprise for most people because they see this building outside. It's this big green metal building, which we're hoping to have a mural put on this summer, hopefully. But when you walk in, it's just another world. Um, I was very lucky to have a very close friend who gave us a huge mask, African mask donation, and they adorn the walls. Some have sold, which we're happy for, but that is part of the decor. And it just is another world when you come in. And then you speak to our people who are the animal people down there and they will tell you the stories about these guys and how they've come to us and how far they've come but even if you don't know animals you can go in there and see how happy they are all of them even the reptiles are just so happy yeah because you've got a variety we've spoken about the birds but yeah you've got sort of snakes large snakes and basically that is to teach people not to get them see how large the snake gets this is not a practical snake nor is it fair for those animals to live here the 
African sporthide tortoises get up towards 200 pounds. It's just not a practical animal to own, but everybody says, oh, they're so cool. Well, they are, but you have to regulate their belly heat, their humidity, their sunlight. It's very difficult to keep them and keep them healthy. So we also speak towards that. But uh, there's monitors down there. There's, of course, an iguana, which is not my favorite pick for a lizard. And we always explain why, even though Ivan is just a sweetheart. But then we have some smaller ball pythons and animals like that that we would say this would be a better pick for you. And we have Queen Mo, who you don't see. She's in the back room, but she is what actually started this whole rainforest. I was hiking on the Appalachian Trail and someone came down to visit me on the trail and they said they didn't want to hike in the rain. So out we went to see a movie at the mall of all things when you're on the Appalachian Trail. And when we came out of the movie, there was a pet store and there was a sub-adult small bull python that was in a cage or tank on the bottom with no heat. And so I immediately asked how much it was. And Mo, I named her after Mohegan Shelter on the trail. Mo and I hiked back to Connecticut and she is still down there. And she is quite honestly the reason why we started the rainforest because the more I looked into the fact that these animals were gathered up by the thousands, thrown into crates, shipped over to basically Miami. They sat in the sun, so half of them died. Half of them died en route because of the parasites that they could not shed out and shed away. And then they were sold at gray market pet stores up and down the eastern seaboard. So this is a a larger than us problem that needs to be dealt with. But again, unfortunately, we barely have laws for dogs and cats, never mind reptiles and the exotics. Talking of which, as we record this, which is at the end of 2023, obviously, you know, we've just had Christmas pets often are gifts. Is this the sort of time? Is is the beginning of 2024 when you possibly see sort of like animals either you know requiring assistance from you or being surrendered? We don't get that much from gifting because we will see it later down the road. Unfortunately, these animals are usually sold quote-unquote adoption fees on Craigslist. And then they'll go to another home and then another home. A lot of times they're surrendered when they're sick or when someone can't take them for veterinary care because exotic veterinary care is very hard to find. We work with Animal Control of Connecticut. We recently rescued a Savannah monitor that was walking around North Haven and a woman came out of a house that was showing it, a real estate agent. And she looked down the driveway and there's this large Savannah monitor walking up and he's in our quarantine We've rescued several from places, and that's really where we feel we're the most effective, right on the front lines, and being able to help animal control properly take care of and house these these animals and, and rehabilitate them. People can adopt or sponsor. Talk to us about that because adoption is clearly something that has to be, I'm sure, reviewed by you very, very so like and scrutinized by you so like very intensely because you don't want those animals going back out right. again to a bad home. But of course, it's not for everybody either. So people can sponsor. Yes, we're very proud that we have just launched this on our website, the adoption and sponsor pages. And we are very, very careful about what homes we choose for 
these animals because there are people that will rescue, adopt an animal and then immediately turn it over and sell it. So that is one danger that we're very careful about. And we need to make sure that this is a forever home. We do have several animals in the sanctuary that are forever homed with us for one reason or another, but we do not want to go back into what I call the vortex. But with the sponsorship, and we really ask people to consider that and look into it. Everybody has a story, and we will send pictures of your animal once or twice a year. Sponsorship really, really helps us a great deal. And it's really interesting to see the animals that people pick. But you can also come in and see your animal. So it's not like you're adopting from Smithsonian or something where that. You can actually come in and see your animal and hear about how they're doing and and be part of its life, which I think is really important. What sort of closing message do you want to give to people listening to this podcast if they are considering an exotic animal in some way? I think most importantly, come and ask us. Just come and speak to either myself or Audrey. She's our manager down there. She's extremely knowledgeable. Diane is our other avian specialist. We have several people on staff that can really give you the information that you need before you either go forward to purchase or if you want to consider adopting. I would like to say that the most important thing to us is to have people just come and experience the whole campus. We had a a wonderful woman who recently was helped out of a very bad situation of domestic violence and came to us and asked us if we could help her out. She just got a house and she had nothing, no way to get pots and pans and things like that. And before Christmas, I had her come in. She had 10 children. And I said, please take what you need. And that alone is more of what we are as far as a thrift store and that it also contributes to the animals. But being able to help out and help out this whole community, not only with providing the beautiful animal sanctuary that they can come see, but the new educational place and the thrift store, it's all one. We're all one. We're all just trying to make it a better world in our area. Well, Alison Sloan, founder of the Pandemonium Rainforest Project and your team, you certainly are doing that. And obviously, we are very fortunate that you are doing it. And so, of course, more appropriately are the animals in your care as well. And thank you ever so much for talking to us and educating us about, you know, whether or not an exotic animal is or isn't the right thing for us at the end of the day. Keep up the good work and thank you for being on the podcast. Thank you very much for having me. And if you want to visit, support, donate, or even sponsor an exotic animal at the project, then visit their website at pandemoniumrainforestproject.org for details where you'll find all their opening hours for the animal sanctuary, cafe, and thrift store. Connecticut East this week is made possible by... EastCon. Know someone who wants to learn English? Enroll today in one of EastCon's free English language learner programs offered virtually and in person. Learn English to get a better job, to access training or college, to help your children with school or to prepare for U.S. citizenship. Succeed from registration to graduation with flexible classes that suit your busy lifestyle. Visit eastcon.org slash get started today and take your first step towards a brighter future. EastCon, you've got this. And it's time for the quiet corner to make some noise. 
Some Day Kimball Health noise. Largest employer in our region kind of noise. Day Kimball Health serves more than 125,000 people, offers cardiology, orthopedics, and oncology specialties. It's having the region's only comprehensive and accredited breast center kind of noise. We are nationally recognized by LeapFrog, Beckers, and the American Heart Association. Day Kimball Health. Healthcare in motion. Smokey the Bear. Then you know why Smokey tells you when he sees you passing through. Remember, please be careful, it's the least that you can do. Don't play with matches. Don't play with fire. After 80 years of learning his wildfire prevention tips, Smokey Bear lives within us all. Learn more at SmokeyBear.com and remember, only you can prevent wildfires. Brought to you by the USDA Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ad Council. Time now for a look at other stories making the headlines this week. Connecticut organizations are working to protect homeless and unhoused people from winter's biting chill. Edwin J. Vieira from the Connecticut News Service has this report. This time of year poses severe health challenges for homeless people, like fatal cases of hypothermia and frostbite. Warming shelters have been established for those who need them, though this can sometimes result in the spread of illnesses like the flu or COVID-19. Sarah Fox with the Connecticut Coalition to End Homelessness says allocating annualized funding is a good start to improving the system. It's $5 million annually to ensure that our community providers have the resources to stand up warming centers, but to keep people safe during the winter. Winter comes every year, and yet we do not have annualized resources. In fact, looking at next winter, there are no resources in sight. Fox would like to see the General Assembly allocate money for shelter operations, staffing, and other cold weather needs. Homelessness has been on the rise in Connecticut. Between 2021 and 2022, the annual point-in-time report tracked a 13% increase in homelessness on a single January night, while 2023's report saw an additional 3% increase. I'm Edwin J. Vieira. In the day this week, a diverse group of like-minded environmentalists, alternative energy advocates and lawmakers gathered inside the Connecticut Science Museum recently to reiterate the challenges they said the state and the wider world face amid a climate change crisis. The 2024 Environmental Summit, sponsored by the Connecticut League of Conservation Voters Education Fund, featured a series of panels touching on a host of environmental subjects, from the viability of offshore wind projects and solar energy to the ongoing battle to ban forever chemicals in Connecticut. The forums, in addition to providing recaps on those issues for the more than 200 attendees, also allowed speakers to repeatedly remind guests that substantive change requires legislative action. Governor Lamont stopped by the centre and used the forum to renew his calls for the phasing out of new gas power cars by 2035, a proposal he withdrew last year in the face of bipartisan opposition. School enrolment in the state has declined statewide. Here's Edwin J. Vieira from the Connecticut News Service once again with the details. State education data shows between 2018 and 2023, statewide enrollment was down more than 17,000 students. Almost 15,000 kids left during the first years of the COVID-19 pandemic. Experts note some parents opted to homeschool their kids while others moved away during the pandemic. Kate Diaz with the Connecticut Education Association describes what is being done to get kids back in schools. 
what we're trying to really do is outreach and figure out where are the families at? Do they need additional support? Are there questions? You know, I certainly know in the 21-22 school year, we started to see families who were concerned about health and safety, and there was a lot of consideration for that. The challenge in doing this is lacking data on where those students went. But Diaz says education officials are concentrating on the students still enrolled. However, this loss of students could lead to teacher allocations being cut. In turn, this would increase class sizes and could lead to teacher burnout. Connecticut is already facing a teacher shortage that this could only exacerbate. I'm Edwin J. Vieira. Four towns in eastern Connecticut will share millions of dollars for housing and infrastructure improvements thanks to grants administered by the state's Department of Housing and funded by the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development, or HUD. In total, eight municipalities across the state will share in $12.1 million to help modernize and rehabilitate housing for low- to moderate-income individuals as well as community infrastructure. In our region, Jewett City has received $600,000 to help with flood control measures at the Jewett City wastewater treatment plant. The town of Scotland is getting $1.5 million for improvements needed to the town hall under the Americans with Disabilities Act and to remove environmental hazards in the building itself. Vernon will receive $1 million for roof and other major improvements needed at Grove Court and Grove Court Extension Community Housing. And the town of Wyndham will get $2 million for kitchen and bathroom renovations and Energy Star appliance upgrades for residents living at Father Hope and Terrace. The money will also be used for other quality of life improvements at the facility. And Connecticut libraries are gearing up for the annual Take Your Child to the Library Day event that happens each year on the first Saturday of February. The event aims to help stimulate children's interest in their local library with support for lifelong reading, study and gathering spaces, resources for learning and play, and to help them learn new skills and pursue their passions. Take Your Child to the Library Day was founded back in 2011 at the Waterford Public Library here in eastern Connecticut, and since its launch, celebrations have have been held across the US, Canada and the world, serving more than 48 million people. For details about the Saturday, February 3rd event, and to find out if your local library is involved, visit the website takeyourchildtothelibrary.org for details. That's all from us for this edition. Do send us your questions and story ideas to the show via our website at connecticut-east.com or Facebook or Twitter at Connecticut East and on Instagram at Connecticut East This Week. And you can listen to the show again on our social platforms on demand and by asking your smart speaker to play Connecticut East This Week podcast. And please like, follow and share on your social media too. I'm Brian Scott-Smith. Thank you for listening. (music) 